Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm here today with Dom Santanello. Dom, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you tell our listeners who you are and where you're from? Sure. So I'm 28 years old. I'm from Western Massachusetts, which is the part of the state no one's talking about. If you're uh, you know, across the US, you might just know Boston, and we're about 90 minutes west of there. Um, my claim to fame is engineering and exit strategy from corporate America. I worked as a gas pipeline engineer for seven years in parallel to getting a real estate license, building a rental property portfolio, um, ultimately scaling a real estate brokerage, and then now a fix and flip business. So excited to talk about how I did that and want to just give back to uh, you know people who are just starting to take action and give them a little inspiration that it is, uh, it is possible to do with a plan. Awesome. I, I love that. So many out there want to escape the day-to-day. So many have heard about the real estate investment opportunity. Some even have an investment property or, or maybe two. But you, know, you talked about you know, bridging the gap to then really letting it replace your full-time and running it like a true operation. And you know, that's something that you've been able to do, which is awesome. I'm curious, you, know, you mentioned going from corporate America, from an engineering background into real estate. But what was that first exposure to real estate? Like, What, what really got you into it? So my aunt happened to be a real estate broker in the area. And um, I ended up just getting a license, looking to make some side income and pay off my student loans. So back when I originally did that, I would have never, ever guessed that I'd be sitting here today. I literally <laughs> just you know, figured it was an easy way to do that, make some money on the side, um, help friends and family out. And then it quickly kind of parlayed into you know, me meeting some key mentors and market participants who were inspiring because, you know, at the time I was 23, 24, and they were, you know, in their mid thirties. And it was just unbelievable to see what they've accomplished. And it just kind of set me on that path. Awesome. Yeah. You put yourself into the real estate realm and started to just kind of catch the bug. You saw the transaction volume of some other guys and, you know, what they'd accomplished at a young age and the possibilities with investment. So, you know, from a sales perspective, it's pretty easy to see the value in real estate and then get into the investment side. But with that being said, 
doing fix and flips, taking the risk yourself, valuing properties, finding off-market properties, it it lends itself to an entirely different aspect of the industry that has its own niche in and of itself. So, you know, when you made the transition from, you know, kind of doing sales and paying off your student loans to then doing investments, like how did you learn? Like what what resources were you using to to learn how to do things from from scratch? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say being, you know, type A, I guess, educated person, you know, going through college and MBA and all that stuff, I always start with just the research phase. So was having a books, reading podcasts, all that stuff. And really what sparked it was, uh, you know, I wanted to get a duplex and live in it literally just so I could live for free and take that mortgage payment, pay at my like student loans. That was at the time, like all I wanted to achieve at a you know, I've been listening to everyone saying you don't want to deal with tenants and unclogged toilets. So was a little nervous about the decision, but was just driven by, you know, the numbers at that time. And once I got that first property and, and fixed it up and, you know, it was always like handy working with my hands and that sort of thing and finish that first project and move in. That's when I really saw the value. I mean, I went from instead of having a $1,500 a month, you know, mortgage in a single family to living for free, you know, for $100 a month and then having the paper tax depreciation and other, you know, benefits to offset W-2. So like once I went through my first tax season of owning one rental property, it, it, it sent me down the rabbit hole and I've yet to come out. So, yeah. Absolutely. That makes total sense. And that first duplex, you're obsessed to just get that first duplex and make it happen. So that's an awesome story. And now, you know, you're doing, like you said, 20 flips a year. And also, I'm sure there's some buy and hold in there as as well. So, you know, nowadays, how are you sourcing deals? Yeah. So that's actually a tough one to answer just because literally real time, we're trying to figure out where they're all coming from. So we've built an amazing brand. We have referrals coming. I mean, we're doing all the standard um, you know, lead generation practices. So we're doing some digital marketing, mailers, TV commercial, billboards, all that sort of stuff. And you know, we're just getting calls left and right and just trying to figure out you know, 80-20 where the investment is really paying off. It just this year seems to have have been coming from, you know, everywhere. And now we're just kind of spending a lot, it feels like. So in the process of kind of figuring out what the most effective way is. And I mean, in the business, I'm sure you've been on the other side of it where it just comes in waves and it's just like, you know, it could be dry and you're spending money and you feel like nothing's going on. And then all of a sudden it's like, we literally aren't even sleeping because there's just deals coming in and projects closing. And it's just like, uh, feels like shooting from the hip a little bit sometimes. Yeah. It is interesting how that happens and it does come in waves. So, you know, now you have a team, you're doing 20 flips a year and, you know, you have an office there on the west side of Massachusetts. I find it interesting that the west side of the east coast is away from the beach because I always grew up on the west coast. And it's it's purely logical. Obviously, it makes complete sense. But whenever you say the west side, I always, in my mind, think more expensive because that's closer to the beach. Right? That's that's like my conditioning being yeah. from Southern California. It's like every block you get closer, it's like add $100,000 at least. Um, so that, that's interesting you mentioned the less known part of Massachusetts from the west side. <laughs> yeah, we're a good hour and a half from uh, hitting the sand and the beach for sure. And definitely uh, when you get to a certain point, it is 100K per block, you know, as you approach that uh, shoreline for sure. For, for sure. So sourcing deals, you have a lot of different marketing going on. Is there one in particular that you found to be most profitable? I know you mentioned you're kind of in the thick of figuring that out right now, but you know, is something 
sticking out to you and see, kind of seems in your gut like, it seems like this one's generating actual deals. Is, is there any one thing? Yeah, believe it or not, referrals, which is a tough well, one. Of course. How do you buy referrals, right? So, I mean, we, uh, my business partner, Luke and I are, have just put an absolute, you know, press on networking with, you know, agents and brokers and resources. And we kind of realized like in the marketing thing, right? Like everyone's reading the books, everyone's on the podcast, everyone's buying the same list, everyone's hitting the same stuff. And we're thinking, I mean, you look at all of, the agents like in our area, there's hundreds of them. I mean, all those people could be deal finders, right? And it's like, how do you make yourself known as a great cash buyer, easy to deal with, you know, takes care of everyone, doesn't heckle and gets the deal done. And, you know, for being younger guys in the space, we've definitely like right away, just kind of stuck to our word, close, you know, we've actually never defaulted on a deal. So every deal we've put under agreement, like, you know, if we're looking for a buyer or whatever, like we always close and that's been like our thing since day one. So, you know, just being reputable, trustworthy, transparent, and then making a ton of noise on social media has really just been bringing people you know, agents that want to join our brokerage because they want to be part of, you know, the investing stuff has been one thing. And then a lot of those agents are getting in, you know, to the wholesale game and other stuff like that. And us being like kind of their mentors or the first contact in the business, we're getting like kick up deals basically from them. So to answer your question, really just referrals and branding has been a big thing. And people are just coming out of the woodwork. I mean, we've literally gotten DMs with people like, hey, you know, this house looks like a good one. And then we've closed on it. So I think it's just brand and marketing awareness has been like the number one. And obviously, I mean, we've, we've gotten them from all angles, uh, just from every aspect, but lately it seems like the phone's ringing with real people that have real deals, which has been amazing. Awesome. Yeah. And that's due to momentum, but also being a man of your word and, and having that theme go throughout your entire brokerage, right? When, when you're doing deals, I feel like if you put enough energy out there, you'll get a couple chances. Right. But if you burn those opportunities and you exaggerate and you don't close and you do think you're just always going to be, have to be generating new, 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 new. You'll never have that consistent relationship with right. all of these partners that you, you could have had that you burned. Right. So, you know, that I think, you know, you, you breezed over it. But that's so key. It's just, you know being a man of your word, <laughs> picking up the phone, like making it happen. That's super important. So what advice would you do, right? It's just oh. a cliche thing. And we've heard it so many times, but like we're doing it now and it's every day. I'm like, wow, it's simple stuff. It's simple. Mm. Stuff. No, it is. And I was listening to Jim Rohn this morning and he talks about, Hey, telling the truth, right? Like being responsible and not exaggerating. And one thing that he said is that when you exaggerate, one time for the rest of the relationship with that person, they will never fully take you for your word. And yeah. that's, oh, what a crushing blow, you know, to, for the rest of the relationship with that person to not actually be, you know, respected at the level that you could have been from one exaggeration. So yeah, all those little things, they really do add up. So great to hear that you're, you know, doing some honest business out there. And it's obviously then having the ripple effect of the marketplace and, and showing, you know, returning success to you. I'm curious what advice you would give to the mom and pop investor that has like one property, maybe two, and they want to scale it up to 10 or 20 and really have this full-time replace their income. But not all of a sudden have tons of worry and liability and, you know, trash and toilets and all this stuff. Like, how do you grow from two to 20? 
Like what, right. what does that look like to, to, and let's go buy and hold. Let's stay away from the flips for, for a second. Yeah. That's such an interesting question. And I literally answer it every day. Cause like all our agents and, you know, our friends and family now, I mean, a lot of people are starting to pick up properties, you know, one or two, and then you kind of like, you know, you're going 20, 25% down, you know, on one or two, and it's pretty easy to lose momentum. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are, just, to, you know, you can run out of money if you have a million bucks and you're buying a couple seven figure deals, you know, retail and then your sidelines. So how yep. I did it was uh, really at first, what held me back was like uh, paralysis by analysis. Like I was walking on deals over like decimal points on a cap rate on a two family, which is actually hilarious now that we say it you know, but just getting momentum at first is number one. And even if the deal's not perfect, like you need to learn how to lease up properties. You need to learn like who you can call to fix stuff. And the number one thing I tell people is don't do it yourself. Like made all the mistakes of, you know, write a passage, you do one or two, but right now, the only way we're able to scale businesses is by leveraging resource. I mean, it's amazing in your community, in your family, in your friend circle, there's people sitting around with hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank doing nothing that if you can come to them with a sound plan and say, hey, I can give you X return, this is my plan, and then we're going to refi, like kind of like burying or you know whatever. Mm-hmm. That's what changed everything because obviously starting out, you get a freebie with your owner-occupied deal. And then you're kind of scratching your head like, all right, now I got to get 25% now what? COVID and banks are tightening up and the LTVs are worse. The rates are a little less favorable, seasoning, reserves, you know, all those trigger words are stuff that holds people back. So I would say just like understand your network, understand your resources, make a, make a plan and just go one at a time. Like if you have two units and you want to get to another two family, you don't need to be looking at a hundred deals. Just pick exactly one thing you're trying to do and just don't stop until you do it. And that's pretty much what I did. Just one by one obsessed. And then you get it and you move on to the next. So you take a step back and you're like, things are starting to move. Yeah, that's good advice. And especially about being resourceful. You know, Tony Robbins talks about you never have a lack of resources. It's always a lack of resourcefulness. Yep. And if you can just be resourceful and obsess over something and go as hard as you can until then you'll get it. And, you know, I think it's important to really write down what's in your mind onto paper and then chunk it to one thing and all systems go on that one thing. The whole team, everybody just, hey, this is the thing. And once that's accomplished, now what's next, right? So key. And really this podcast is about the action items for success from top real estate professionals. So is there a single most important action item that you've taken on a daily basis that has attributed most to your success? Yeah, I actually love that whole like slogan for this podcast. And I resonate with that a lot because the difference between like, you know, my business partner and I and a lot of the people that we're surrounded by are just inconsistency in action. And Mm. I forget where I heard this. It was like a gym reference, right? But like, I can give you my workout plan and you can do it one time. And, uh, I mean, it's the same thing as the gym, right? Like you can literally go one or two times and look in the mirror and not see a change. But until you do it consistently every day, like clockwork, then you're going to start to see something. And it's even harder in business because you're waiting for the money to come in. And I, I even to this day, I mean, there's certain things where it's just like, you kind of feel like, what am I doing? I've been posting for months and nothing's happened. Or I've been you know, mailing for months and the phone's not ringing. And then all of a sudden, it's just consistency. And then things start to happen. So consistent action, and then obviously just being planned. So one thing that 
is still something we struggle with is there's a million things going on, right? Like we're scaling a real estate brokerage, we're scaling a fix and flip business, we're burying properties, we're outsourcing property management. And there's like, you know, how many functional hours in a day. So like every day I sit down, you know, we have all the apps, but I just write it out by hand, just 10 things I have to do today and always focus on one goal. And that's been my it's been doing it for three to five years right now and it's I still do it and it still works. So interesting. So is that at the beginning of the day in the morning? First thing in the morning. You write down ten things that you are going to focus on or accomplish that day. Like have to do them. Like just it, it could okay. even be something simple. Like I gotta go to the post office. But like I just make my action list and then the other thing which we didn't really talk about is like goal setting. So like since I've been 21 years old, always have like goals just taped to my wall as cliche as it is, but it's kind of unbelievable when you start to look back and look at everything that's been crossed off, like, you know, silly personal goals to, you know, real business goals. And I think there really is some sort of psychological thing that happens when every day you look at that thing and then you're writing your list out and it's always in like, that's the first thing I'm thinking of, like, how do I get to that unit count or how do I get to you know, X net worth or whatever it is. And it's literally just in your brain 24 seven. And then you pair that with taking action and you're literally on the path to success. Right. Success leaves clues. And that combination of having a dream board or goals on the wall that you see every day and breaking it down into action items and executing on those action items consistently over time, that's a formula. Like that's the formula for success. So it's it's been tried and true and it's cliche or silly as it might be it's what works so it's it's always a great reminder to hear that and i like your strategy of you know spending just a couple minutes what do i need to do today like what i really need to do today (laughs) and what's going to move the needle forward and spending the time to write it down i'm curious if you write it on actual paper and pen so i i think i have some ink on my uh (laughs) you do question. I love writing it by hand just because it it's just how I am. It's I mean I have, you know, Google Keep, I have a hundred things in there, but I literally just I like writing it out and something about crossing it off. And even my fiance is the same way. I mean she's uh at a big like one of the big law firms like prestigious mm-hmm. absolute animal. Like I don't know how to describe her. She's just the energizer bunny doesn't stop but she writes stuff out by hand. She's the same as me and we always laugh like there's something about crossing it off that just makes you feel good and that's just it is it's, it's something about crossing it off and i don't know what it is but when the ink starts flowing and your hand starts to shape the letters and you write out what's in your mind onto paper there's something that happens i don't yeah. know what it is I don't it's like either. a commitment to yourself or you know it's almost like there's a saying you can't write something that's not true like your hand just like it will write what's true and and so it's like once you write it and you see it and you did that and then you get to cross it off and accomplish it it shows progress you know and tony robbins talks about how like progress is the key to happiness and so it's like boom 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 i don't know there's something about it and that's why i asked the follow-up question about writing it down because i have evernote i have apple notes i have google docs i have so many things i can neatly file away all my to-dos like i have a crm they'll send me notifications but there's something about just putting pen to paper. I yeah. don't know what it is. I'll never let that sticky note down. It'll be in my pocket. I'll bring it home. <laughs> two more. Like this thing stuck to my phone. I got to get it in the trash. Like that's just how I am. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love that. Yeah. So with the industry today, where do you think things are going? I mean, from an investment standpoint, 
you kind of want there to be a recession, right? You kind of like, you feel for the people that were over leveraged and lost things, but at the same time, you're like, okay, that's opportunity. And, you know, we have cash on the sidelines waiting to maximize and, and, you know, we can help you out of this deal, whatever. So from that standpoint, with all the stimulus that was released in the last year or two that's starting to kind of dry up, uh, with all the people that were on unemployment that, you know, have to go back to work at some point, like, what do you think is the short-term economic outlook, like two to five years? No one has a crystal ball. I'm not going to quote you on this, but what's your feeling? Yeah. So, it's definitely interesting. And I, I love researching and, and talking about that topic. And, you know, just with all the levers that go into it, I mean, interest rates, if those go up, you know, every 1% interest rates go up, it squashes, you know, purchasing power by 10%. So there's one metric if we're just talking about prices. We obviously have a storm cloud heading our way from all these foreclosures that haven't even started yet. People are in forbearance and all those sort of things in, you know, just the regular mortgage market. So I don't think in one year we're going to be, you know, at 10 auctions a day, but I think in the three to five year when, you know, we're going to go through another election, we're going to have interest rates are going to have to move at some point. Inventory is the only thing that like of the historic indicators, I don't see more inventory coming on. And I'm just maybe in a tunnel vision of our local market, but I'm in the process of, I would like to build a house for myself. And it's like there's limited options and land. And then even in multifamily and stuff that's zoned accordingly, it's even less. So I would say things have to come down if we're just going by history, but when and how and what triggers it, I feel like it might be a little too green to, to answer that, but I don't know. Hey, great answer. And no one truly knows, but I think that was very insightful. And you mentioned a buzzword that perked my ears up, multifamily. That's my world. I'm in the commercial multifamily world. And I believe that it's going to be the highest and best used from a zoning perspective for many existing buildings over the next five, 10 years to be converted into multifamily because we need affordable housing. And we're 7 million units underbuilt and materials are three times as much. And like for so many reasons, the highest and best use is going to be multifamily. And so from a acquisition standpoint, renovating office buildings that are empty now from COVID and, you know, so many opportunities that are coming. I feel like that's a huge opportunity over the next five to 10 years. And so that's why I'm personally in it. Um, I love the multifamily multiplier effect from an investor standpoint as well. You, know, you do yep. carpets and paint on one unit, you know, you bump the rents a little bit, you do carpets and paint on a hundred units and you bump the rents a little bit, it multiplies, right? So I'm, I'm very fascinated with that whole aspect of real estate, but back on on track with you do you do any multifamily yeah so uh we own i've owned a couple units before i'd met my business partner i think i had three two families and then he had a portfolio himself and then pretty much our biggest thing uh has been like burying so we have very few buy and hold units that we've acquired everything that we do have has been completely gone through and one of our main things is net cash flow trumps unit count so all the books mm. and you know a lot of people have different strategies for you know wanting all these units and you know profit per door i've seen you know 100 to 250 bucks is you know a good target and you know cap rates and all that and i just disagree with that because of like our like experience and right now like we're kind of you know 
in a pro forma sense, uh, I had done some consulting before I even really got to this point, looking at people's numbers. And when you t- factor in higher touch properties with vacancy, CapEx, maintenance, property management, that's essentially your profit. So we've taken a new approach where every single thing that we're buying, we're netting 500 to 650 like net after everything per unit or per door. And that's allowed us, I mean, for every 10 like Burr units we have, we're cash flowing the same as like 40 to 50 with all the overhead expenses, you know, of a higher touch unit in our market. So that's been huge for us too, just because we're not betting on appreciation. We think, you know, everything we buy, I'm thinking is going to go down. Our PFSs are going to go down. We're going to be sad. But at the end of the day, our cash flow, that's what we're focused on in debt coverage ratio. So we have huge cash flow, huge reserves on the DCR metric. And that's kind of our plan to weather through the next two to five years of uncertainty because we only care about cash flow. That was gold. I've talked to an investor in San Diego who's very savvy. And he mentioned the the classic like $100 or $200 per door. Nowadays, he looks for $600 per door. And you, know, you mentioned that same thing. I love the simplicity as well of just looking at the net income per door over you know all the other metrics. It's like, that's what really matters. And figuring, not betting on appreciation, also super key. So you, you dropped some gold there for my listeners. Rewind, go listen to that two or three more times because he's been doing this every day. If you're in the real estate sales side and you're not as familiar with the investment side or you're an early investor, you have one unit, go back and listen to what he just said. That's so key. So really appreciate you dropping that knowledge. You mentioned yeah. reading a lot of books, doing a lot of research. So let us know what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your real estate investment career? There's all the cliches, right? You know, rich dad, poor dad, all the bigger pockets books. Those are all great. But I think the most underrated one is never split the difference because that has to do with, you know, Mm -hmm. negotiating and getting a good deal for yourself. And that has never been more important than right now because one thing I noticed, I mean, you could read 10 books on, you know, the power of multifamily wealth and cash flow and appreciation and how to flip and how to deal with tenants. But the one book that will get you to even that step is the negotiation and closing the deal. And no one's really talking about that. And even myself, I was overeducated uh, and not taking action and, and running numbers. And, you know, I was on the sidelines for a year and a half, didn't buy a property. And I was just like, everything I looked at, I look back, I'm like, man, I could have made so much money if I had stopped listening to people and just did it. So never split the difference, learning how to negotiate, learning how to listen to people. I mean, we're going direct to seller now on almost every deal. And, and you know, distressed sellers, you know, on the single family side of things are, you know, you're not dealing with, you know, me or you, a sophisticated investor, someone who's just like talking about the numbers. I mean, there's a whole story. I mean, their house is condemned, their house is in bad shape. They went through a divorce, you know, they lost their job. Like you need to listen to people, have empathy, ask how you can help them and understand that, you know, especially if you're a younger person and these people are older, like it is an emotionally hard thing for them to stomach that you're going to buy their house with cash and, you know, you're 28 and they're 45. So like that book, Never Split the Difference is a great way to learn how to listen to people. And I don't want to say manipulate, but just understand the psychology and, you know, let them feel like they're in control. And like all those little things we've implemented, those little strategies, and it's, it's changed everything, you know, for negotiating. And we've actually been getting deals, not as the highest bid, which is a crazy concept. Hmm. So, 
you know, those little details and building rapport and having a reputable brand and having empathy will 10x your success rate versus just going by like numbers and being binary. Yeah, great point. Chris Voss is the author of that, right? Never split the difference. Yeah, yeah he's a FBI hostage negotiator. Yeah. So yeah. what a cool background to write something on persuasion. And yeah. persuasion, and, that's the word. So that's that was what yeah. I was trying to say. And manipulation is not all bad. I mean, a chiropractor manipulates your body to get it back into alignment. If yeah. this person that you're talking to has a story that they need help to write the ending and you can help them and you truly have the best interest in mind. I mean, how is that bad to help them get over certain fears that are irrelevant yeah. or, you know, certain worries or, or, you know, certain things they don't know, right? You can, you can help to educate them and use language to, and use emotional levers to, to get them to make the right choice for them. And right. of course, at the end of the day, you're picking up the property and profiting from it. But if that begins a chapter in their life, I always feel great about that, right? I, I don't feel bad about it for a second because I know that I'm acting in ethics and it's okay. And I like how you kind of skirted around the word manipulation and I feel like it does have a negative connotation, but yeah, you know, it, I'm, I'm here to say it's not all bad, right? <laughs> Understood. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we are helping people and ethics is, you know, we always say pride, integrity and ethics in our office is like huge. And I can safely say every deal we've done, we've done, you know, the best we could on it, helped people. And if there's a situation where there's a better avenue, we do it all the time. Like we could buy the house or, hey, maybe we could just, you know, run it through our brokerage and list it retail and get you a little more money. And those key principles for us being young, trying to penetrate a saturated market that has, you know, a lot of people with more tenure than us. Like those are the little things that we're hoping to compound. So, you know, an extra five or 10 grand on a wholesaler like purchase versus, you know, running it through the brokerage. Like if we could actually change someone's life and really help them, you know, the positive reviews are, you know, one thing that come in, but also we actually did the right thing and it makes us feel good and inspires us to keep going because, you know, these distressed or motivated sellers, whether it be single family or multifamily are almost always in an unfortunate situation and helping them is, is the right thing to do. And, you know, there's a lot of people that, are not doing that. And that's one key thing. Like we, we're not wholesalers, like we do wholesale property, but we, if we put a property under contract, we will close. Um, right. We even had a situation where we thought we were going to lose money, but the person that we made that promise to already got a moving truck, already got another place. And we just thought, you know, can we imagine derailing this person's life after being in a horrible situation? Cause we couldn't move a contract or, you know, numbers change. And we ended up just closing on it. And I think that was, uh, you know, a little bit of good karma because we ended up coming out of the deal okay. And even if we were harmed, I mean, we're winning on so many deals that it would just be an expense at that point. So that's kind of where we're at. And at the end of the day, real estate is a relatively safe investment. I mean, if anything, you have the land. I mean, even right. if the house burns down without any insurance on it yet, <laughs> heaven forbid, right? you have the land, which is the real, real thing that's appreciating while the structure is depreciating. So because it's a hard asset, I think that was 100% the right choice. And, and, uh, and as you mentioned, it created goodwill. So it's easy to see your success today and think, no, oh, he did it easily. It was a straight line shot from being an you know, MBA and engineer to a successful real estate investor. 
just no mistakes. But I'm curious about any failures that you had along the way, which set you up for later success. Do you have a favorite failure of yours? Yes. I don't have a failure that cost me like a ton of money, like, you know, did deal and lost cash on it. But where I did fail was I failed to listen to my gut and take action when, and I apologize for that noise. Our office is next to a uh, train track and we hit the uh, morning. <laughs> That's all right. But um, the biggest thing that cost me was really listening to the wrong people, not listening to my gut, and then essentially being on the sidelines for closer to two years while an amazing amount of deals were getting passed around. I mean, this is four years ago now, and just the, the deals that I walked on, the appreciation alone, which we don't buy for, but is just something to measure. Uh, I would say those were some of my biggest losses. And it's amazing after getting the paradigm shift and listening to the right people, um, you know, what we're able to focus on and do. Great point. Trust your gut, take some chances, go for it. Right. <laughs> you yeah. talk about saying no to deals early because you have a few decimal points. Yeah. <laughs> I have PTSD. <laughs> those. I, had a I have PTSD from <laughs> Yeah. Put it in and it, I mean, all I did basically, you know, was Excel. So I used to, uh, I had a spreadsheet that would like pretty much light up green if it was a buy and, you know, go red and bad if it was not a buy and just cracking up at some of the stuff I walked on. And when you look at it, I mean, half the time now, like, you know, in our like certain market, if we're looking at like a two to four family, like I can get it done on my iPhone and, you know, just run some quick numbers and crush a percentage and say, this is a great deal. And, you mm. know, now we've transitioned to where everything we buy, there has to be a value add, either the leasing and or, you know, the CapEx portion, because that's the only, everything we're buying is undervalued. And that's one of the first things that you would ask me too, for like people that are like trying to start that plan. And we talked about leveraging resources and stuff, getting yourself marketable is one thing, but, you know, going to these people, whether it's, you know, your uncle, your friend's dad, or, you know, someone you just met or someone who you know has money, it's like, you fund one of these deals, we're always buying undervalued. So that means we could literally turn around and put a for sale sign on it and hopefully get, you know, 20 or 30% on the purchase price there. And two, it's secured by personal guarantees and first position loans. So obviously start small if it's just like a, you know, a small burr or a flip. I mean, it is kind of an easy sale pitch, you know, once you get over the first one or so, and it's like, there's no stock that you can put money on where you're undervalued by 20 or 30% on day one. And it, like you said, like there's land there, like there's always going to be some value, even if the place burns to the ground the next day. So, you know, explaining to them that we're getting an insurance binder with you as first position lien holder, you actually are getting a lien, you know, here's my personal financial statement, you know, do what you will with it. Here's my credit score. We're going to personally guarantee that. And then by the way, here's the deal, which all that other stuff is great, but just the deal alone should sell the lender on it by saying, Hey, you know, we're getting this for 80 grand. It's worth 110 on the market as it sits. We're going to add 40 grand and then we're going to profit 50 grand. It's like, you know, you have money getting less than 1% in your savings account and you're worried about this deal when this deal is worth 30% more on day one. So just learning what's important to people, you know, if you're trying to raise money has been successful for us. And, you know, the first one was hard and now we have 
multiple private money lenders with, I would say, you know, a line of credit close to the $2 million mark right now before we even touch our own capital or like just bank lines of credit. So that's happened pretty quickly. And at first we were always like, how are we going to get the money? And now the mindset is how are we going to get the deal? Because we can always get the money if the deal's good. That's right. Everyone's looking for the deal. And that's what I specialize in. So it's been an interesting journey, just sourcing deals and, you know, offering mastering lead generation over the last four years and then getting into sales and investing myself. And I've just learned that the construction crews will arrive, the capital will arrive, everything will align around the deal. Absolutely. Yeah. So to hear from you a little bit on that, you know, what is have you, I mean, we're, sounds like we're doing the same thing. Like our, our main goal of everything we're doing globally is getting the cash flow, getting the units, right? And how we get there is flipping houses, wholesaling, you know, tr- commissions through the brokerage, sales commissions that we do ourselves, and all that ammo we plow back into multifamily. So I you know, would love to hear from you how you guys are successful sourcing deals. And I would obviously assume it's all direct to seller because that's where you get the best deals. And, you know, what have you learned from doing that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. And are we talking multifamily five units and up, like two to four? Like what? I'd say two to four. I mean, just to keep it simple, that's a that's a big range. Yeah, absolutely. So for two to four, I mean, there's a couple different ways to go about it. Mailers are tried and true. Using title or data and cold calling the title, you know, in information. Uh, doing the reverse lookup route. At the end of the day, there's so many ways to get the contact information, but then you have to take action on it. And when you do take action on it, what are you saying in that phone call? What are you saying in that mailer? And that comes back to ethics and persuasion. It's like (laughs) most people are are firing from the hip, you know, I can make you an offer. And like they have no idea what the property looks like or this and that. And that's a surefire way to lose because (laughs) either you're going to make an offer and they'll accept it and you realize you overpaid or you're going to just have a lot of people hang up on you and ignore your mailers. So I think the best way to do it is to go back to the concept of persuasion and empathy and really just say, hey, I don't know if I can help you. My purpose for this call is just to learn about you, hear your story, and see if, you know, based on my experience and my network, this could be something that I could help you with. So would that be okay with you? Is it okay if I get a couple answers to some questions? And just coming from an authentic approach, then you can have a real conversation with a real human being. Right. Yeah. And it it, it kind of like drops that guard, the seller guard. Of, of like, who are you? Why are you calling? Nah, 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 nah. Right, hang up. Um, so, you know, we do various different, like we have course digital lead generation copywriting. That's my real specialty um, outside of direct sales and in-person sales. Yeah. But then we have, you know, call center type leads where they'll do the first call and then tee it up to the closer and they'll call like 4,000 dials a month to investor li- or to a home seller lists, potential home seller lists. And then, you know, we have mailers and all kinds of stuff. So, uh, as far as sourcing those types of deals, it's kind of a combination of everything in my experience. And um, really the, the, not the scripting, but like the framework of the conversation is, is the biggest and most important part. Yeah. And that's, that's great advice. And that's definitely something we've been running into too, because I mean, 
just use mailers, for example. That's like the kind of easiest thing that you can do without talking to someone and, and pump it out. And we've actually kind of dialed back on that because every single time back at 10, you know, every single person's there and half of them aren't even local people, you know, just plowing mailers out. And how do you actually be authentic and, you know, lower people's guard and have a real conversation and actually, you know, source their motivation. And, you know, it's, it's now, I mean, not that we've been in this for a while, but it feels that this is a lot harder than it used to or needs to be. And that just means that we have to sharpen the pencil and, you know, have mm-hmm. our, in order, have everything, you know, all those little details align, have confidence, have a clear message and, you know, move methodically because it's just at any moment, like so much can go wrong getting a deal. I mean, what we have to do to even get on the phone or email or text with the seller and then get to an appointment and get to a number and hope that the deal doesn't get derailed by friends, family, real estate agents, attorneys, you know, there's this like all the levers we feel are like in the wrong direction. And the only way to persevere that is just literally ground up ethics, brand integrity, and being empathetic and genuine. And, you know, those little competitive advantages have have been enough to, you know, get deals done. Amen to that. And one thing that I thought of, which I also want to mention, is that if we're going direct to seller, which in my opinion is the best way to go, and seems like you agree, especially for like the single family stuff, a avoid foreclosure ebook as a free lead magnet to just get a a warm lead to give their information and then they're not going to read the ebook like they'll download it (laughs) it'll go to their email and they'll never read it but you get their phone number it's kind of a hand raise and if you have some good copywriting that ties into some pain points and creates urgency saying you have options but every day that goes by you lose some options. So make sure to reach out now because if you want to avoid foreclosure fast, here's six ways to do it. Download this today. And people flood in. We get like $10, $15 <laughs> distressed seller leads from like Facebook and Instagram. And then we can just have a agent or you know investor follow up with phone calls, have a good yeah. script, have a good you know email and text sequence in place. And that's a great way to go direct seller as well. Yeah, definitely. So with that, we have a couple minutes left here. Is there anything that I should have asked you or, you know, anything that you'd like to expand upon from earlier? I mean, the main things we hit, I mean, obviously my my message and I guess my motive for getting on a podcast now, which I feel originally was premature, but what I wanted to do is just kind of dive in and be a resource for, you know, people that are just, you know, starting out and, you know, I'm still within the one year mark of, of shaking my W-2 job. I held on to it, you know, remotely for a year, which was basically me working full time and then having this other obligation. But it is like, it just seemed like an impossible thing to do, especially, I mean, I was making well into the six figures, wicked flexible schedule, you know, kind of living the dream and was unhappy. So, you know, just wanted to be a motivator for anyone. Like, you know, I have a duplex, like how do I actually get you know, 10 of them and replace my income and everything. And I think we kind of talked about all that. And now it's every day I wake up just with a clear head. I'm not feeling guilty that I have other obligations or another job or anything like that. And it is actually incredible what you can accomplish when you're fully focused. So, you know, kind of just goes into everything we're saying where take action, be precise, be persistent, have a plan and just see the plan through. 
And, uh, you know, for me personally, I've never felt better and more motivated and focused in my life than when every Friday that check stopped hitting and, you know, I, I knew I was on a mission. So that's kind of why I'm here and what I'm trying to do. You know, I, I would have loved to hear from more people like me when I was like getting ready to make that leap because it always feels like, you know, this person has a hundred million in sales or this guy has a thousand units. And I'm like, I, I want to be there, but how do I even get like to those first like little action items? So that's what I was looking to accomplish and give back. Awesome. And you definitely have, you, you dropped some extremely valuable insight today and I really appreciate it. So we have, well, my last question, I guess, is how can listeners contact you? A couple ways. So, I mean, directly, I'm big on email and prefer email. So, my email is dom, D O M, at Naples Group, N A P L E S group.com. And then, if you look up any of the Naples branding, so Naples Home Buyers or Naples Realty Group, all of our social media routes basically to one of our assistants who would get someone, you know, a leader, an interested party in contact with us pretty quick. Awesome. Dom Santinello real estate investor, West Massachusetts, and also has a brokerage, doing some awesome things out there. So reach out to him if you want to refer a deal or interested in joining the brokerage or interested in learning more. seems like an open book and uh, I really appreciate you uh, sharing what you shared today. Likewise, I couldn't be happier to be on here and uh, apologize for some of the, the hiccups along the way with the noise, but I hope there was some good content for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, not a problem. I'm sure they won't even notice. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free ultimate real estate goal setting framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.